it has been a minute since I've recorded a morning show. I think I did one morning show all of last year, and I have always wondered if people can hear a difference. Just a different tone, different vibe, you know, for a morning show. That's a good question. We'll have to yeah, do I'm, some uh, research on this. I mean, you know, like like morning shows are a thing out there in the world, like with in, in like live broadcasts. I've I could not be part of them because I'm well, I'm somewhat of a morning person. I'm not that much of a morning person. I know when it comes to like the really really early shows when I'm talking to guests in Australia and New Zealand that my voice is not awake yet because um, I when I go to edit those I'm like oh man you really did not have any coffee in you <laughs> that day but um yeah i've always wondered if people can tell the energy between the morning shows and the evening shows <laughs> welcome to wherever you are my name is ryan mcneil in toronto canada you are listening to episode 320 of the matinee cast it's the movie loving podcast of the matinee.ca your home for cinematic passion and perspective last time today's guest came by for a full show i mentioned that i had this weird knack of always getting her on to talk about some of the smallest films indie titles international titles international indie titles then and there i made a joke that the next time i got her back on the show would have to be to talk about a blockbuster or a big prestige picture well i wish i could tell you that's what's happening today instead nope we have another indie to talk about an exciting an intricate project for sure, but not nearly what I had in mind for my guest return. What can I say, gang? She's just a winter and spring sort of soul, and that's when these movies come out. So her voice may seem familiar if you listen to the year-end show, and if you didn't listen, you are missing out, because we talked about a lot of movies that got nominated for Oscar this year, so including some surprises. So go back and listen to that. She writes for Toronto Film Files and Wiley Writes, and she's pretty much staff around here. Jolie Featherstone is here this morning. How are you, Jolie? I am very well now that I'm talking about All of Us Strangers with you. On episode 320, we will be discussing All of Us Strangers. We'll be flipping the record over to play the other side. Um, and first, though, we need to learn more about Jolie. This is Know Your Enemy. Jolie first showed up on episode 182, where we talked about a ghost story. We learned the first film she'd ever seen in a theater was Casper. The last film she'd seen at the time was Point Break. The worst film she's ever seen is Hot Tub Time Machine. Her unseen classic or essential is Lawrence of Arabia, and the film she wished she made was is Amasur Fat Girl. Jolie returned on episode 195. We talked about Thoroughbreds. We learned the film she digs that nobody else does is Dirty Dancing, Banana Nights. The film everybody else likes but she doesn't is Cinema Paradiso. The last movie to make her cry was Call Me By Your Name. In the movie of her life, she would be played by a combination of Jennifer Lawrence, Saoirse Ronan, and Kate McKinnon. And the movie she was watching next was A Fantastic Woman. Jolie returned on episode 223. We talked about nonfiction. We learned the film that made her love of cinema turn a corner is Gladiator. Her first date movie was Blood Diamond. Uh, her sick day movie is anything with Marilyn Monroe in it. The last movie to leave her speechless was Una. And her epitaph would be from Some Like It Hot, Nobody's Perfect. Then Jolie showed up on episode 261. We talked about Together Together. We learned the film she really digs but never wants to watch again is Una. The last film that genuinely freaked her out was revolutionary road the movie that always makes her laugh is some like it hot her favorite movie soundtrack is the lord of the rings series by hans zimmer and the film she loves but nobody has heard of is is it ninjen ninjen yes and then 
last year. Jolie returned one more time for episode 303. We talked about the five devils. We learned that when she goes to the theater, she likes to sit in the last row, but if it's busy, she wants an aisle. Um, if she could go on a date with any movie character, she would go on a date with George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. The dirtiest film she's ever seen is Let Me Fall. Her favorite black and white movie is Some Like It Hot, and the film she likes but nobody would expect her to is Ambulance or any other big, dumb action movie. So it's time for round six. Jolie Featherstone at home or in a theater. What is your movie snack of choice? Um, I got to go with the classic. It's popcorn for sure. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's, you know, splurging for the, you know, the movie theater popcorn or if it's just like making like microwave popcorn at home. It's got to be popcorn. You can't really go wrong. That's for darn sure. It's kind of like coffee and whiskey. Like everybody takes their popcorn slightly different. So mm. that leads to the sub question. How do you take your popcorn? Yeah, honestly, I'm very like au naturel when it comes to popcorn i don't really put anything on it i just have it as it is um you know every now and again maybe i'll get some butter on it but for the most part good old plain popcorn the movie popcorn is already butter flavored anyway right Mm -hmm. like that's that's why i never understood why they try to sell you on the topping because it's like it's already got the flavor to it why do you need it more greasy and gloopy yeah, and I was at a movie theater last night. I was actually at a movie theater the last two nights in a row. Um, but I was wondering, so you can go to purchase your popcorn. Like you said, it's already kind of flavored. And then they ask if you like dad butter. Um, I said, no, you know, kind of get my usual. So I got a fountain drink. I go to get my straw. And then there's like that lever, like butter topping to put it on. And I kind of wondered, like, how does this work out? Like, you would think if they're upselling butter, they would take away those that like lever with the butter topping. Yeah. But hey, they're still around. They're still kicking. They're still there. Weird. It's so weird. Yeah, I, I don't. I always noticed whenever I got the the topping on top, I I couldn't finish it. Like it mm-hmm. just made it so that it was something I couldn't finish. Now, you know, I, the the only one I don't get is I I can't get behind like air popped plain popcorn. That's just that I, I might as well be eating styrofoam. <laughs> I do. I do it. I go for it. No. No. Um, and also, I, you know what? I have had like layered butter popcorn in like a massive bag. I could, I still finish it. I don't know what it is. Popcorn, <laughs> I truly think, could bring me back to life. Like if I were like literally on my deathbed, someone gave me popcorn, I'd I'd get at least another twenty four hours out of life. Ah, <laughs> oh, lovely. Okay, moving on. What is a movie world that you'd like to spend a day in? So this is a great question because I, I think both of us as lovers of, of movies, there's so many films that we'd love to spend a day in. But one that kind of instantly jumps to mind for me is um, actually Nomadland, a more recent film. Mm. I would love to spend a day in the world of Nomadland. I would love to spend a day in, again, some of the beautiful like locales that we see in the film. But I'd also love to spend the day like just meeting and talking with some of the people in this like nomad like road community. That's a really great choice. I I, I never would have thought of that. So well done. Um, yeah, I I, I have a, a deep love for that movie, which is mm-hmm. strange to say for a movie that's just you know a little more than three years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read the book too. If anybody's ever ever wants a little bit more texture to that film, read the book because it really explores a lot of things that are 
kind of tapped upon in that film, but not really deeply explored. Um, namely, the economy um, mm-hmm. uh, as one thing, because it is its own little economy that's really, really fascinating. It's so much more communal. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I, as time goes on, I'm finding that it gets harder and harder to get people into one place and have them have a conversation. Like people mm-hmm. need to like have the television on to, to help them along, or they need to yeah. like go down a YouTube rabbit hole to help them along. Like people can't just sit around a fire and tell stories of that kind of thing. And that's what I love about that sort of community is because it is so less dependent on anything more than the essentials. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, more forthcoming human connection is mm-hmm. valued a little bit more is that one of the things that would draw you to that or absolutely like you definitely like every point you made i absolutely agree with and yeah there's there's almost like a necessity to having to be a bit more like forthcoming and a bit more honest because you know living on the road you kind of obviously you have to be self-reliant but you're also reliant on your like fellow community members in this world, right? You're on the road. You're not necessarily going to always be able to just pop out to the store to get whatever you need kind of thing. Um, so I think there is sort of an inherent collectivism to that, um, which I, I find very intriguing. Um, and just like the, the types of people that we encounter in the film, there's so many people that have interesting stories, interesting um, paths that led them to kind of seek out this life of people mm-hmm. of all ages and and and. and paths really and then of course being able to roam around gorgeous landscapes is kind of the the icing on top like this is a great answer and i think to myself i don't know if i could necessarily say i'd want to spend a day there but i would want to spend a season there Mm. i've never thought to myself yes that is how i want to live my life because i'm a little bit too attached to some of my comforts um but that is certainly a way i would love to spend like a spring. That's why I think it's also good how you frame the question as a day, because it'd yeah. be a good intro <laughs> to see yes. if it's something you'd want to do long term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Get some miles in, meet some people, you know, like have so- something simple for for your dinner and see if you can last. Exactly. And, you know, park park the van about right back out in front of your house at the end of the night. <laughs> um, all right, Jolie, what is your favorite good scene in a bad movie? I'm going to give a nod back to a previous uh, question that we had, which was, (laughs) you asked me, what was a movie that I liked that nobody else liked? Okay. Um, And I had said Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights, and I love the dance competition scene in that movie. (laughs) So I'm going to have to go with the dance competition scene in Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. <laughs> so why why that one? I actually haven't I haven't seen the movie at all. So tell me about the scene and tell me about why you love it. I mean you're you're not missing out on much, but um I Don't walk it back now. No no you own there's, this. There's oh I I find the film super charming um <laughs> and I enjoy it. Like if it's on TV I will make a point to watch it. I also love dance like that's something I think just subjectively, I, I really love dance. I love dance on stage or in a film. I do enjoy just like watching dance and watching, um, I think the added like level of like the dance competition. It's like, 
that, oh my goodness, like this love is not going to last clearly. They're from two different worlds, forbidden love. Now they're in a dance competition. There's just something so like fun and exciting about it. The one thing I do think I know about this movie, correct me if I'm wrong, this is Ramola Garay and Diego Luna dancing, right? Correct. Correct. And is this like the big ultimate end of the movie scene? Like this competition? Is this like what it all builds up to? Kind of, yeah. Like, and it's very interesting because it builds up to the scene and then um, it's like the revolution is happening around them. So it's like... Yeah, so we it's, must dance! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, it, it makes complete sense in my mind. Um, it makes sense yes. to me! <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like big dance competition, the revolution's happening, like, <laughs> here we go. Like, you know? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, so I, I yeah, I've never seen this. You leave me curious. It's around. Like, it's not going to be hard for me to actually sit with it for two hours. But and I don't um, even know if it qualifies as, like, a good scene. But it's scene now, yeah, no, like, now I'm going to find out, because if nothing else, I'm going to watch the scene. Yes, um, please, I please may watch know. the movie. So if people see it turn up in my letterbox feed in the next few weeks, you'll know that Jolie was to blame. Jolie, what is the most violent movie you've ever seen? When I was doing my... Um, film studies program at Carleton, I did take a course called Controversial Film. Mm. And it was populated, like the syllabus was populated by films that had been banned for uh, one reason or, or another, but there was kind of different themes that we touched upon and, and why these films were banned and then subsequently became unbanned or in some cases not. Um, and violence was one of the themes, one of them being Cannibal Holocaust. And I think that's a, uh, kind of um if people are not familiar with that film there it's very problematic um you also see like an animal being like severely harmed on screen which was not simulated um and it was very interesting in that the film at the time it was released as if this was a real documentary and these were real people going out in film and this is like well before the Blair Witch Project and things right. like that the director actually had to like you know, go public and give an official statement that this was a fiction film. But there were some things that did happen during the filming and on set that were quite violent. There's another one that sticks out to me as well. Um, and it's kind of like an, an infamous film for good reason. But I saw um, a Serbian film, which I would say was also probably probably the most violent film physically, like literally violent, but also just like psychologically, emotionally violent. Um, a lot of problematic elements, very disturbing elements. Um, but I would have to say that was probably the film that when I think back on, there was just so many elements of violence um, it packed into one film that it's kind of astounding how the director packed all that in one film. Were both of these part of the, the same syllabus? So the Cannibal Holocaust was part of the syllabus. The Serbian film was not. I watched that like that. I watched separately on my own, but I actually did write about it in a paper for that class. Okay, so oddly enough, I haven't seen either, and I'm quite content to keep it that way. Yes. Um, but when you, like, when we talk about these kinds of films, especially the ones that are truly shocking, like, mm -hmm. I'm not talking about cartoony violence like you would get in, you know, uh, like a Kill Bill type movie where mm -hmm. it's like blood spurts and, you know, like maiming and that kind of thing, where the, the, the violence is like, played as like cartoonish mm -hmm. when you get into stuff like this where the violence is genuinely unsettling mm -hmm. 
what is the artistic merit in these movies? It's a great question. Um, and I think it, uh, of course, it does depend on the film. Um, like, are you like, happy you watch them? For, like, do, I, do you find that it's rewarding in some way? So I actually wrote a bit about that about uh, on my paper where I discussed the Serbian film. And the way I think based on interviews that the director had given and things like that, it felt as if it was an exercise in expressing a cultural trauma. You know, Serbia having been an area that's dealt with a lot of conflict um, in the past well, okay. decades, okay. it was like almost meant to be watched somewhat metaphorically in that it was like expressing all this like historical uh, cultural trauma. That said, it goes to some really far lengths, which I am sure, um, you know, I'm not discounting or saying that things of that nature didn't happen during times of conflict. Um, But it it does go pretty darn far. Um, And again, I think what sticks out to me about that film is it's not just physically violent, but it's like very emotionally and psychologically violent as well, which I find very interesting. So, I mean, on one hand, perhaps like if it's an expression of, of cultural trauma, perhaps there, there was merit to the level of violence depicted. But at the same time, they, the director made some choices, which are quite disturbing that I wonder if they actually had to make, you know? Unfortunately, I will have to take your word for it because I'm really quite content to leave those movies in my blind spot. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> gotcha. Cannibal Holocaust and a Serbian film. Uh, finally, for now, um, Julie Featherstone, in much happier news, what is a movie monologue that you would love to deliver? There's a few different monologues in Cloud Atlas that I just absolutely huh. adore. Um, there's one that initially like, absolutely sticks out to me. It's one of my favorite, I think, moments in like just in terms of the message and the line. I don't know if it can qualify as a monologue though, because it's only three sentences. But <laughs> there's other monologues that are much more, um, much more long in the film that I also absolutely adore, and I think. Um, a lot of them, it's interesting because the monologues that really stuck out to me and like, I remember them, like some of them were for word from the film and they usually have to do with like love and life and, you know, kind of like acceptance. And I, and I, I don't know why those really, really stood out to me. You need to at least land on one. Does, does a three-sentence line count as a monologue, or does it not? I feel like I know where you're going with this, but which three-sentence line would it be? It's the line um, when Sanmi's being questioned, basically, um, by like the, the kind of like oppressive government officials at the time, and they basically ask her about death, and she gives her basically her, what her idea of death is. Which um, is? I believe death is only a door. One closes and another opens. If I care to imagine heaven, I would imagine a door opening and he would be waiting for me there. I mean, that, that I would say that counts uh, for sure. There, there, I mean, that is a very speechy movie. Um, mm-hmm. There's like, there's the whole ending bit by Ben Wishaw. Um, that was the, the, my other one. <laughs> 
I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. There, there's, there's several. The one, I mean, the, the one that I always come back to is one that's spoken by Susan Sarandon, where Ooh. she mentions, and I think it's even in the trailer, our lives are not our own. We are bound to others past and present. And by each crime and every kindness, we birth our future. I think this might be the first time in a long time that Cloud Atlas has come up on this show. Um, it's a movie I adore. And I know a lot of people really hate um, mm -hmm. for all sorts of reasons. Um, you know, some of them I might even say justified. But yeah, that, that's a movie I feel like uh, several people even forgot in mm -hmm. the uh, 12 years since it came out. But um, it's it's got, I mean, it's, it's a long movie based on mm -hmm. a long book with six narratives. Yes. So there's a lot to it that I could, I could, I could certainly see why there would be lines or monologues you would want to give from that movie. Definitely. And I, it's, I'm so happy you brought up Frobisher's uh, kind of final monologue. That was, that was the two I really was choosing between um, Sonmi's um, message of, of what she perceives death to be is my favorite. Like I could probably recite that one in my sleep, but Again, it's only three senses, so I don't know if it counts, but the other one would have been Frobisher's final one. And again, they're interesting because they both kind of have to do with acceptance and death and, of course, love. So um, I think that's kind of ultimately what the movie is all about. So. Well, if people are curious, I will include both scenes in the show notes. So take a look and you can see what uh, Jolie would love to stand and deliver to uh to everyone who would give their kind ear and listen. But there we go. That's a, a lot more about Jolie Featherstone. Um, you know, the, you're right. The questions do get harder because you're here for six times now. It's time one, time two. It's real simple stuff. And once we start getting further and further down the line, it, it gets trickier. So I'm, I'm uh, really happy with um, everything that you have uh, shared with us today. So thank you so much for that. We are going to talk about um, a film from 2023 that's still kind of just hitting screens now. Um, so hopefully people uh, would uh, indulge us. Um, we are going to come right back after this. It's the new slang is all of us strangers right after this. I'll protect you from the hooded claw. Keep the vampires from your door. like fire I'm so in love with you Dreams are like angels They keep bad at bay Bad at bay Love is the light Scaring darkness away All of Us Strangers is directed and written by Andrew High. It's based on the novel by Taichi Yamada. It stars Andrew Scott, Paul Mescal, Claire Foy, and Jamie Bell. All of Us Strangers is about Adam and Harry, uh, the only two residents in a new London condo building who strike up a tender, hesitant, and sometimes melancholy affair. It's sweet, it's also convenient, considering they're the only two souls in proximity. Much of the tenderness and hesitancy comes from Adam, that's Scott, who is wrestling mightily with his grief for his parents, who were long since deceased. He's now trying to write about them for a project of his own. 
He is so wrought with his grief that he returns by train to his childhood home outside of London and begins to see his mother and father, has conversations with them, and tries to unpack 30 years worth of baggage. As he does, his parents and Harry all do what they can to shepherd him through his depression, hoping that love can dispel some of the hurt. All of a Strangers actually began as a horror story. The book that it's based on is a Tokyo ghost story of a man who meets a couple that seem like his parents and slowly drain him of his spirit and life force. The film that I just described obviously is very different. And yet, somehow, when one comes away from All of a Strangers and hears that it began as an eerie ghost story, it's easy to envision. So let's start there. Pop quiz hotshot. How did we get here? How does any storyteller pivot from terror to tragedy? I didn't know that about the book, that it, um, like that particular narrative and, and the tone of the book. Um, but, you know, it, it's really interesting. I went to see it at the theater, and when I looked up just like the little blurb um, on the theater website, it had genre fantasy drama. And I thought, mm-hmm. fantasy, interesting. Um, and it's interesting because I mentioned it to a friend that had already seen it. I said, I don't want to know anything. Don't, don't tell me anything, but I'm just curious because I saw it's a genre fantasy. Um, would, do you think that's an accurate classification? Yeah. And my friend said, I, he said, I would call it more surreal than it is like fantastical or mm. mystical, which I thought was really interesting. And so that kind of, for me, set the tone in this film I think the the big difference is how you mentioned in the book, these two spirits sort of like seem as if they like siphon energy and life force away from the protagonist. In this film, I feel like it's a much more giving situation. It's not like this evil or negative kind of interaction. There's like a lot of healing and a lot of um, beauty and love that happens through this. Andrew Hyde took this, this story and kind of adapted it with a bit more of like um, an acceptance or like a, a, a more loving perhaps take on death and grief. You're on to something there uh, for sure. I think when I think about my own question of how we get from mm-hmm. um, a story of horror to a story of love really mm-hmm. um, is that, they're 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 so close together you know like they're two sides of the same coin um kind of like that that line from wandavision of what is grief if not love persevering Mm -hmm. and we touched on some of this when we talked about a ghost story Mm -hmm. when we talk about spirits remaining in this plane of existence and how the two are so close together is how does one approach it how does one approach an encounter with something that you know, I mean, that you think you know, is is not there. And mm-hmm. it's like, are you are you terrified? Like, if you one day came home and somebody who is gone is there, mm-hmm. you know, would you be shocked and recoil and run? Would you sit and have a conversation with them? Would you keep having a conversation with them? And I think that's that's the difference. And, and, you know, especially like it, it would be one thing for somebody who, you know, it would be another thing if it was somebody who you don't know, yeah. um, you know, like how do you, how do you have that encounter? Do, are you, are you afraid or do you let them, let them in? 
it could be tremendously sad or tremendously horrifying, but it's like, if you are brave enough to embrace it, it actually becomes really beautiful. Yeah. And that's why I love that notion of acceptance and like peace around death. And again, that doesn't, that doesn't negate that grief and death come with pain and come with hurt and come with regret and, and unfulfilled things. Um, but it, it seems to me as if when writing this film, um, Andrew Height kind of took a different approach and, and thought, what if this character were to kind of approach it with acceptance or with, at least with, um, with a hope to, you know, fulfill something and, re- and reach, a, you know, a peaceful space as opposed to feeling like terror. Because as you said, love and fear, especially in the context of death and grief, um, are, are much closer together on the um, on the range of human emotion than perhaps mm-hmm. we even realize. But totally. yeah, I think um, what's interesting is how this film feels like, as you said, uh, I like that word embrace. Um, Adam's character kind of embraces this opportunity. Um, he's not scared by it. He's not repelled by it. And in fact, when we first see his dad, he's like in a field, like long. Yeah, we don't know who he is. Yeah. We don't know who he is. Um, and he, he just comes up behind him. And he's like, eh, you know, come over here. And that moment is, could be extremely unsettling. You yeah. know, you're witnessing someone in a field by themselves, eerily quiet. They look around. There's like some random guy there watching him. It's like, hey, follow me. Could right. have been a very unsettling and uncertain circumstance credit to Andrew Scott like he tells so much of a story with his face and with his eyes and when he sees his dad there is a kind of a moment of like curiosity but it's not a it's not a fear it's not he's not scared he's just kind of like curious and he's open to the experience clearly he does follow him yeah. um, so I think that there's I, I love that word use embrace there's this beautiful embracing of opportunity especially in this case an opportunity that could potentially be a little unsettling and a little eerie yeah yeah totally now we haven't actually talked about this film you and i together yet what did i mean i can sort of tell in the tone of your voice and i'm sure our listeners can too what did you think of all of us strangers i personally loved it i went in uh, to be honest i like of course i i i love the cast so i knew that at least i'd be seeing some great performances but right I, I unfortunately am not as um, up on my Andrew High filmography, um, so I wasn't a hundred percent certain how he would handle based on just the blurb that I had read. I didn't know how he'd handle this kind of story. I didn't know how I how it would be um, approached, and I had almost this like trepidation that it was going to be handled in sort of like a dry sort of way and yet I was so pleasantly surprised and just pleasantly moved by how I, I don't know why I had this trepidation that it was going to be handled in kind of like a dry kind of way or but I, I was a little bit worried that it might be like I'm thinking of ending things and mm. uh, you know but there's a lot less warmth in that film in fact I find that film extremely like distant and cold and yeah uh, yeah no I I, I get what yeah. you're saying yeah 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 I had a fear a little bit that all of the strangers would be like that so I was completely surprised pleasantly 
um, that it was so loving and warm and unafraid of, you know, delving into human emotion. Whereas I felt like I'm thinking of ending things almost like was very constricted around how, how it approached like the, the kind of messy emotional side of things. It's sure. very psychological. Um, and this film, I feel like op- open, like open their arms to the emotional resonance uh, of, of the story. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I was, um, I mean, I really didn't know much about it going in. Uh, I didn't look too closely at who directed it. And um, as soon as I came away from it and realized that it was Andrew High, I've only actually seen uh, 45 years mm-hmm. um, uh, as, as from his filmography. I'm curious now to see more. I know a lot of people love Weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, our mutual friend Bob Turnbull uh, is a really big fan of Lean on Pete. Um, mm-hmm. So I do kind of now want to go back and find some of these movies uh, to, to experience. Uh, one thing I, I found wanting was I wanted just a little bit more of Adam's life outside mm. of this circle that he swims in um, mm. because I needed, I needed just a little bit more counterweight to these people who are in his immediate circle. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, um, you know, if you know that somebody is um, dealing with something, I want to see how that ripples out into a, a meeting with somebody professionally or an right. encounter with like a counter person at, um, at a diner, you know, like th- it can, it can manifest itself so many different ways. Yes. And the fact that that wasn't part of this narrative, I mean, it, it, it has the time. It's not, it's not even two hours. It has the time to just widen out that little bit, get out of the condo and get out of the suburb mm-hmm. um, just for five minutes. Um, I really would have liked to have seen that, but that notwithstanding, um, this was, this is a gorgeous movie. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it really unfolds at a beautiful pace, uh, to, you know, express what's happening. Like it, it's not, you know, to, to, and people, in case people haven't been able to like get what we're tap dancing around, when um, Adam goes back to his childhood home, he is essentially encountering the ghosts of his parents. And the movie doesn't make that crystal clear at first, because like Jolie said, um, when we meet his father, his father just kind of shows up and he doesn't go like, dad, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, it, the, the movie um, holds on to that card until they get back and you kind of need to put it together yourself. So I like that the movie has enough respect for its audience that they will put it together themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is a really, really lovely uh, detail. This movie is, is, is wonderful for those kinds of things. What did you make of the interaction and the relationship between Adam and Harry in this movie? Oh, so interesting. Um, it's almost impossible to mention or start off talking about their relationship without mentioning the condo in which they live. Mm. This like very like grid like sterile like void in which yeah. they live which of course somebody designed thinking this is how people will want to live <laughs> exactly they first encounter each other seemingly through a window when he's down uh, outside the building and looks up and they see each other in the window and then when they he you know returns to his home gets a knock at the door, you know, unexpected. And he sees Harry, who's at this point, like, extremely inebriated. You feel this 
weight, like just coming off and just desperate for some sort of connection, you know, just Mm -hmm. desperate for another person. Um, And it's very overwhelming. You know, the scene between the two, oh my God, incredibly performed by Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal, but you feel the weight of that scene, you know, the, just like the need pouring out of Harry and Adam feeling a little overwhelmed. And, you know, I think like anyone would feel a little bit, I'm sure of a stranger coming to their door, completely inebriated, holding a half empty bottle of whiskey. (laughs) But um, there's, there's this very kind of, um, there's a deep emotional weight to that. And so that's kind of how it starts off. And actually the person behind me in the theater whispered to their partner they're like oh my god this is so creepy um because it is it's unsettling you know it is a very kind of unsettling scene later on when they kind of encounter each other and you know harry sort of has like a bit of an apology for how he had acted previously and adam you know i just think that was such a cute moment he's like oh yeah i actually do like whiskey you want to get together for a drink and the elevator closes and he's just a little bit embarrassed um but then they do actually connect and they start to have these really beautiful conversations. It was very raw and it was very human, um, very, very beautiful. And very, um, I think as we go along, you kind of see the nurturing aspect of Harry toward Adam. And you're kind of witnessing this as Adam is experiencing these moments with, you know, the spirits of his parents. Um, and Harry kind of being his, uh, a nurturing presence in his life. Um, he's, a port, he's a port in the storm, right? Like I think yeah, that was the thing that, that was the thing that struck me um, is that I feel as though they could both tell that the other was going through something. Mm-hmm. And even though they don't meet under the most ideal of circumstances, you kind of recognize damage, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, or, or you recognize, um, unbalance Mm -hmm. and you're like well you know you're unbalanced and i'm unbalanced maybe we can balance each other out Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. yeah like everything that you're describing those early moments are um (laughs) they're awkward um they're uncomfortable they're kind of scary sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't know what who or what harry is when a stranger comes to your door you don't necessarily know what you're going to be inviting in necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that eventually gives way to this, you know, we kind of see this montage of what their relationship becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes this, this thing that's very gently beautiful. The movie to its credit doesn't take this hard swing from a guy who's really wrapped in depression mm-hmm. into this, like, you know, Dolce Vita, clubbing, <laughs> cocktailing, movie night kind of person, what we see of their relationship, it's very tender, it's yeah. very intimate, and it's like, oh, cool. Like, they found in each other what they needed. Yes, yes, very intimate, very gentle, and that's why I felt it was so interesting, like, something that was very clear to me in those scenes, um, and it could be, you know, because we're largely seeing it from Adam's perspective, but just like the nurturing that Harry has, even though he's younger, um, he's, you know, s- you know, seemingly also going through some things himself, as we know, he's not got the greatest family situation. 
he kind of takes the lead on being like the caring presence in the relationship and really nurturing and caring um, for Adam and giving Adam permission to, you know, be vulnerable and open up and heal and gives permission to him to just experience his feelings. I love, love the moment when, you know, Adam tells Harry about his parents' death and um, Harry's like, I'm, I'm really sorry. And he says, oh, it was a long time ago. And Harry just looks at him and she says, I don't think that matters. You know, there's yeah. just this beautiful moment. I think when that happens, when Adam realizes, Oh, like, I, I like, it, it's okay that I feel these things. I'm allowed to have feelings about this. And Harry kind of helps him feel uh, permission to do that. Um, and yeah, I, I like how it, how you mentioned, like it doesn't kind of go almost like unrealistically from this chance encounter between two strangers to this like highly romantic, like, like butterflies and roses, like situation. They take time with each other and we see them kind of getting, giving each other some graces, you know, when they first uh, kiss and <laughs> Adam's like, Oh, I've kind of forgot I'm supposed to breathe, you know, and it's like, <laughs> these moments could be very awkward and very like kind of embarrassing, but you know, the two of them just really care for each other and, and go slow with each other and give each other that grace and, and uh, permission to be who they are and, and be open about it. So there's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful relationship. On the other side of the movie, we have Adam's mother and father. Um, the characters don't have names. Um, Claire Foy and uh, Jamie Bell. How did they come across for you? How did that work for you? Like you said, the, the film you put it so well that the film doesn't make it like super obvious what exactly is happening. You know, like in that moment when he first sees his dad, he doesn't say, Oh my God, dad. It's I mean, even, you know, when, like, even when he goes home, yeah. you know, like, like his mother invites him in and it's not well, like, you know, she says it. she's not like shocked. She's not like, Oh my God, it's you. She's like, Oh, like, what are you doing? Like, stop standing there. Come inside. You know, like it's very, very familiar, very familial, very warm. Um, doesn't seem like much time has, like not like an inordinate amount of time has passed. You know, it seems very, they all seem very comfortable with each other. But obviously the tip off being that both his parents are, uh, you know, look quite a bit younger than they would be if, you know, with having a son of his age. The actors themselves, I think, are also younger than... <laughs> Everybody is. He's the oldest member of this cast by, mm -hmm. a, by a good, like, 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, which is... It, that is a fascinating approach, mm -hmm. I think, to this movie. That, mm -hmm. I mean, Paul Mescal is 20 years younger than him. Mm -hmm. um, that's an interesting little nugget. But, yeah, um, I didn't realize that... Claire and, Claire, yeah, Claire and Jamie both have, like, 10 years his junior... The, my first clue was um, his dad's wardrobe. Like, I'm like, that mm -hmm. looks very old school, even mm -hmm. for the suburbs, because, you know, sometimes, you know, downtown style and suburban style don't quite align. Mm -hmm. But it was when he's leaving the house and he passes the car. I was like, okay, that car would not still be on the road. I'm like, he mm -hmm. just went into the past. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the thing. Like, I, I do I appreciate that this movie trusts itself to unfold at that pace and not be like, you can't be here. You're dead. You know? Yeah. So, but, but sorry, I, I, we've, we've digressed. Um, <laughs> Claire Foy, Jimmy Bell, uh, you, you dug them. 
sorry. Yes, I derailed us. Um, but I just no, I derailed us. <laughs> <laughs> they're I think they're they're wonderful in their roles. Um, they're much more nuanced um, than they. I think they played the roles much more nuanced or much more human than perhaps someone else might have. Um, there are scenes where you kind of think, oh yeah, everything is like so hunky dory between them, but then. Then they spend more time together and you start to see like the kind of small, but big fissures that happen between members of a family and the, the hurts and the, um, the ignorances, you know, things that people either were aware of and it's just kind of, oh, we don't talk about this or we're not aware of that they were, you know, perhaps not doing something just these things that happen naturally between a group of people, especially, you know, in a, a situation in the context of a family, I thought it was just so beautifully portrayed. It wasn't overly like, Oh, everything's perfect. I get to have these like beautifully unblemished moments with my parents again. It's no, this is, these are opportunities for us to kind of really evolve and be honest with each other and really talk to each other. And both Jamie Bell and Claire Foy, I thought, really played their roles with a lot of um, a lot of precision. You know, they they felt of a different time. Just yeah. the, the intonation of their voices, like they truly felt of a different time. Um, and it's like like we were saying, those subtle ways of showing rather than telling what's happening. There's so many moments with these parents that I will. I'm not ashamed to admit, brought myself to tears. I heard many people around me in the cinema <laughs> like sniffling and wiping of eyes and noses and all sorts of things. So they, they really were this very nuanced but very beautiful force in the film. They're both doing something incredibly complicated mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, guys, so here's what you're going to do. I want both of you to sit down in front of this person who is older than you Mm-hmm. but he is your child. Mm-hmm. So you need to envision him mm-hmm. as the adult version of somebody you last saw at age 12, even mm-hmm. though they are older than you, you are younger than him and express everything you would express to the child, to the adult, mm-hmm. and don't give the game away while you're doing it. Like don't show, don't, don't let them see you sweat. Mm-hmm. And both like mm-hmm. these, these, Foy and Bell are both so talented mm-hmm. that they are able to to do this and still touch on um, what Andrew Scott has called the accidental cruelty of parents. Mm-hmm. You know, that is something I think this movie does so, so well is there's all kinds of stories about parents that were either deliberately or, or just passively um, abusive and mm-hmm. and you know and malicious about how they parented because I mean like there's there's as much as there are a ton of actual books there's no book on parenting mm-hmm. um, you know and a lot of people do get it wrong um, because they have something else in mind but then there's this whole other subsection of generally speaking good parents but they still screw things up because we're human. And again, there's no book. So raising yeah. And I so, think that's, like that's what I um, refer to when I say like kind of kind of like the ignorances of a family. There's certain things that the parents in this film come to realize 
maybe the choices they made were a bit more damaging than they potentially thought or didn't realize were as maybe important as they thought. But even like when that's a, that's something they realized in the time of these conversations, but when you look back, um, say when they were in the past, when he was a child, perhaps they were doing certain things, as we say, like sort of like unconsciously, like as you were saying, like they're good parents, but maybe unconsciously doing certain things that can be very hurtful or, you know, certainly not helpful. Yeah. yeah, And I, I love how you put that, like these two actors were, you know, really given a, a very important task of still having to feel like parents. Mm-hmm. You know, we're looking at two actors that are, you know, visually, they they look younger than their son, but they still need to feel like parents. They still need to feel like people who have lived and are in this parental yeah. kind of role. And I tr- I really felt that they just nailed it. To springboard off something you were just saying there, the one thing that this movie does that's really, really fascinating is it's a very different kind of coming out story. Mm. Um, you know, this is, this is very much, a very much a singular queer film in this respect, because we, we, you know, we've got this fantastical element of it where the child is talking to the younger version of his parents that are Mm -hmm. gone. So he's coming out to them individually, not, not even together. So, and he starts with his mom that one would think, Mm-hmm. Um, stereotypically would be the easier conversation than the father because men are idiots. Um, <laughs> and the conversation with his mother does not go well. Mm-hmm. It goes okay, but it really doesn't go well. Yeah. And then he has the same conversation with his father. It goes a little bit better, um, mm-hmm. which maybe shows what being gone for 30 years can do for a soul. Um, mm-hmm. But even then when his father is having the conversation with him about how he got teased at school for being an effeminate type of, of queer kid, um, you know, and, and being bullied, mm-hmm. um, his father says, I didn't come and console you because I feel like I knew I was one of those kids who would have bullied you. Mm-hmm. And first of all, that's profound. Mm-hmm. I've never heard or seen something like that in a film. Mm-hmm. But on the one hand, while his father's conversation is more accepting than his mother's, and his mother's still is not terrible. It's not great, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's not you know like it's it's not a cold and hard rejection the mm-hmm. way that we've seen in 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 stories of this nature and certainly yeah. seen on film. Um. But it's it's that is what I love about this movie um, is the way they both come to this place of acceptance of who their child is, even after he's had thirty years of accepting who he is and yeah. still having to, you know, to to have that moment with his parents. Yeah, and I I love that as they're you know accepting him and they're also accepting themselves as well. Um, you know, as you said, when the dad says that and they hug, oh my God, like there's just so much in that hug. So healing for Adam. But I think also healing for the dad to realize, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong to not 
confront this with you. I was wrong to not come to your room when you were crying. You know, I was wrong for doing that. And I have to accept that I, that I was wrong in doing that. And this is my chance to, you know, accept those faults and be there for you now. Um, and then another line that I absolutely love is when Adam kind of crawls into bed with his parents. I think it's just such <laughs> a cute, like unexpected scene in this film. Yeah. Um, and he crawls into bed with them and, you know, his mom says that, you know, she's like, I wasn't win winning mother of the year, but I'd like to think I would have gotten better at it over time. You know, I just love that line so much because there's so much that the parents are accepting, um, you know, they're accepting him, they're accepting their life without him, like all that they've missed. Yeah. They're also accepting, you know, themselves and the mistakes, you know, that they made. Because um, they were young and learning their humans as well. Um, there's so much beautiful healing that happens in these scenes with the parents. Um, and that I think that's some of the magic in the performances here because uh, Adam, played by Andrew Scott, truly does feel like in that in those scenes, he feels like a young boy sometimes. And the parents do feel like, you know, older than him, even though they are suspended in time at a younger age. So there's this, this beautiful, very subtle ways that they, they bring that, um, that tone to the performance. I love films that, and this is no surprise, we've talked about this before, but I love films that kind of give, I get, or give away for directors to work through or express like ideas of, of death and grief and the afterlife if they if they search if they so believe um but it's this is such an interesting piece because i think there's this expectation in some ways that you know when someone passes on you know they become something more than themselves perhaps and in this case the parents do feel very real they feel very human they're still working through the mistakes that they made when they were alive and accepting what they've lost. Um, and it, it actually, it's funny that you mentioned a ghost story earlier, because that came to mind to me so much. Something that yeah. you said when we, that was the first podcast I think that I was ever on your show. We talked about um, a ghost story yeah. and you had said, um, it's, it's shows how the people that have passed grieve us as well. And yeah. I, I, I really felt that so deeply in this film that the parents, as wise as they are and as nurturing and, and parental as they are, they're, they're grieving the life that was cut short from them. They're grieving their time with their son. They're, they, were, they have regrets over mistakes that they made, but they have this beautiful opportunity to connect and bond with him now. It's interesting because one of the little details about this film that I learned this morning was that Andrew High actually got to film it in his childhood home. I read that as well. Oh my which, gosh, wild. that's ballsy. Uh, mm -hmm. I, 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 I gotta believe that therapy is cheaper. Um, <laughs> actually, than... when I was walking out of the theater, I heard someone <laughs> say like, oh man, like, I need to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really, you know, like, it, it's, it, it, it had to be really, really, 
challenging to tell a story in that kind of space, even though I, I don't necessarily know that that you know his this the story mirrors his life in any way, shape, or form. But still, being mm-hmm. being there will will transport you to a different version of yourself. But yeah, this movie really does want to instill into us like a ghost story that souls need closure as much as survivors do. Like we we do late in this movie get a moment where the parents are like, okay, so just so you know, you're done coming here. Like yeah. this you can't we love spending time with you and we love seeing you again, but you can't keep doing this because it's actually doing you more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like they want to be the ones to still be parents for just a second. Yeah. And even though he's older, they still want to be like, all right, you're, you're going to listen to us now. Cause we're your mom and dad, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. This, this whole notion that, um, you know, the, the, the spirits of our, our dearly departed are still part of us and can still yeah. guide us um, is very much a, a part of the story. Even, even though they are admitting their flaws along the way and saying, you know, like it's been, it's been 30 years for you. Who knows how long it's been for them? Because mm-hmm. it may have, like, I mean, time is relative, right? It yeah. may have been, may have been triple that time. It may have been just a fraction, but they're True. like, I can, I can see this now. I can see where I, what I needed to say to you. And I'm saying it now, because who knows if I'm going to get another chance. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, is this movie I, too depressing? I found it really healing and really beautiful. Although, I will say, there there is a certain like aspect to the film which is very upsetting and very sad. And throughout the film, they've worked through so much, like, like finding peace with the incomplete aspects of our life, it makes the depressing scenes a bit more bearable or like, I don't, I, yeah, I, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't necessarily, I, this isn't something I would say somebody should go see if they're not in a great place because it's, yeah. it's not like, while I do believe that this movie is cathartic, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's kind of a long walk to the catharsis. I don't think this right. is misery porn. I, yeah. I don't think, I don't Agreed. think it is too depressing, but I think <laughs> if a person were to go into this and they're not in a great place, it's not necessarily going to help. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's a good point. Yeah, it is cathartic, but in, I mean, by nature of it being cathartic does mean you have to work through, you have to go through the woods, you have to go through the fire to get to the catharsis. So there absolutely is really tough stuff in this film. As as hopeful and as beautiful and, and accepting as it is, I agree, probably someone that, um, you know, is maybe very freshly dealing um, with grief, maybe give it some time because it is it is a lot. I don't know. I mean, it's uh, like, it's one of those things that's, that's different for, for everyone. Right. Like they're like, it's, it's kind of like when I ask in the questions of like, what is a person's sick day movie? I've heard Mm -hmm. people like, you know, you mentioned how you love something like some like it hot. Whereas Mm -hmm. I like watching something like seven, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, just because if I'm not feeling great, sometimes I want to feel worse. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't think that this, I, I think that's, to, to talk it out like that, I think that's the thing. I don't necessarily think this movie's going to make you feel worse. No. But I don't necessarily I, know I, if it's going to make you feel better. So, <laughs> I you mean, know. Yeah, that, that's such a good way to put it. I 
per- like my it is very subjective. Yeah. Um, my personal feeling is that it will make you feel better, but I think you have to be at a certain place for it to make you feel better. If, I feel if like it, we're scaring people away from this movie. I know, and I don't want to. It's amazing. No, yeah. Incredible. And you know what? Like, take this for what you will, but when I saw it in the theater, there was not a dry eye in the house. I could, I could hear people crying. I could hear, yeah. you know, noses being blown. I could hear that. No one left that movie without shedding a tear or two. Yeah. Yet, Everyone, when they left, there were a lot of smiles through the tears. Sure. There, there was a lot of, I heard people laughing. I heard people, um, you know, excitedly discussing it. I saw people embracing each other. Like, there was a lot of beauty, I think, that people were really working through um, after coming out of that film. So I think it will make you... I don't know if it'll make you feel better. Like I wouldn't say it's going to make oh, you yeah. feel something like, you know, that's, that's, that's exactly you can't spend, you you're not going to spend 105 minutes with this movie and come away yes. feeling nothing, feeling cold or even feeling necessarily worse. Yes. Um, it's, it's going to make you, it, it will make you feel. And I think yes. at the end of the day, that's what you want a movie to do, whether it's joy, whether it's terror, like you want a movie to affect you somehow um, to, to, you know, reward you for your time and money. There were so many people of, you know, every different age, uh, different cultures, like in that theater, and everyone was affected by it. So it's not something where I would say you have to be a certain age or you you have to believe a certain thing about the afterlife for you to find something in this film. I feel like this film is kind of like a sandbox in some ways and what you bring to it is what you'll find. I mean, um, like yeah. it's the same, like what you're saying, like it's a queer story and yet it's mm-hmm. also not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. universal themes of love and death and family and grief. Um, you know, isolation, loneliness, like these are <laughs> things that a lot of people will find something to, to resonate with. And um, it's interesting because you said something earlier that reminded me uh, I read an interview where the director said he wanted it to kind of feel like the feeling you have when you wake up from a dream and you've dreamt of someone you've lost. Mm-hmm. And again, I think everyone uh, at some point uh, has an experience like that where you have a very visceral dream, or it could even just be a moment where you see something or you smell something or you hear a song and it just transports you to a person that you love that's no longer physically with us. Um, And there is a very striking feeling to that, that I think a lot of people on a primal level can relate to no matter again, what you're, what you believe and how old you are, what, what not. So everyone left that theater, I think feeling a bit of that. The film really does. I think, Moves, moves you, makes you feel something, and everyone that left the theater certainly did. <laughs> That's you know what, yeah, that that might be the best way to describe this mm-hmm. movie is it feels like waking up from a dream of mm-hmm. uh, of of somebody who is gone, mm-hmm. um, whether it's somebody, whether it's an old friend, whether it's a friend that that has died, what mm-hmm. have you. It's it's like waking up from a dream of somebody who um, you don't have in your life anymore, and that that mm-hmm. can be. That can be a beautiful feeling. It can be an upsetting feeling. It can be a sad mm-hmm. feeling, but it can also 
also be a beautiful feeling. Um, I think we're obviously coming down on the side of people should see this movie. Um, so we hope that you do. Um, there, there is a lot more to this movie that we haven't talked about um, because we want everybody to experience it on their own. Um, so, so please uh, do keep that in mind too. Um, we end every uh, review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible from this movie. If you could take away and keep, you would. Uh, Jolie Featherstone, what would be your souvenir from all of us strangers? Oh, this is so hard. I know. Um, but I think I would take Harry has a sweater that he wears at some points in the film. And it's like a white sweater with like the natural, like it's like, like a natural kind of image on it. Yep. I would take that sweater. <laughs> it's a good looking sweater. Um, I'm, I'm obviously <laughs> a fan of good sweaters. Um, I want uh, Harry's mom's teapot. It's a mm. very specific late seventies ceramic kind of boxy squarish teapot that one probably could not play. I mean, you may be able to find it in like an antique shop or a vintage shop now, if you're really good, but if you were just to like, you know, go to an average houseware store and look at teapots, it's not the aesthetic that, that you tend to find anymore, but I really loved it. It looked like like really heavy, ceramic the kind of thing that's had just like hundreds and hundreds of pots of boiling water poured, poured into it um, there's something I, I, funny that you mentioned that because i remember staring i don't know why at the i the little like um not the right word for it a little cup for like the cream that she pours yeah, in yeah, into yeah the, the creamer cream. yeah yeah the creamer like this it looked so heavy and so ceramic and so solid yeah. and i'm like i don't know why i was like staring at that you know that old line, they don't make them like they used to? Yeah. That's that's quite true. We yeah. rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Jolie Featherstone, all the strangers, what do you got? For me, it's it's four stars. It's I, a very solid four stars. I could I can totally hear that. I'm I'm on a three and a half. Mm -hmm. It's a very affecting movie. It's a gorgeous movie. It's one of the best movies of the last year for sure. I just wanted that little bit more of Adam's life um, to, to help counterweight it. Um, but I, I really want people to see it um, and, and be with it, please. Just, mm -hmm. just uh, if you can't go see it in the theater um, when you watch it at home, um, please just give yourself over to this movie because it will reward you. Um, yeah. And let us know what you think of All of Us Strangers. Maybe you think it's terrible. Maybe you think it's uh, a masterpiece. Uh, Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, I am matinee underscore ca, and there's facebook.com slash darkmatinee. What do you think of Andrew High's All of Us Strangers? We are going to take a quick break here and come right back with uh, the other side right after this. So come on back in just a minute. We're back. She is Miss Jolie Featherstone. I am Ryan McNeil. This is Matinee Cast 320. We've been talking about all of us strangers. It's the other side. It's the part of the podcast where we talk about companion pieces to the main topic. Um, in this case, of course, all the strangers. Um, Jolie, how many movies did you have uh, as other sides for uh, for our feature film? You know what? It's so interesting. There, it actually kind of brought up quite a few for me and one of them we've already discussed was a ghost story actually um that one kept coming up quite a bit for me um also um after sun as well which also stars uh, paul mescal but um beyond just you know the the filmography aspect there 
it was a film that I felt um, had a sort of like a similar like tone to it in terms of you know family and loss and like kind of like the that what if that unfulfilled love kind of aspect you know just like a, a little bit of a sense of regret that was so beautifully rendered in uh, Charlotte Wells After Sun so that one kind of came up for me as well too I mean besides the fact that they share the star we're seeing a, a, an emergence of an incredible talent in Paul Mescal, mm-hmm. uh, which you know some people may have spotted early in uh, his TV performance in Normal People, mm-hmm. um, but others may not have spotted until After Sun. And I, you know, it's funny because we're talking about like, oh, here's a person who is kind of quickly becoming a brand, but in reality, it's like he's mostly only done these like smaller films. There's a mm-hmm. whole swath of movie-going audience who have no idea who Paul Mescal is. After Sun and All of Us Strangers definitely share an aesthetic. So mm-hmm. uh, even though they are drastically different stories, mm-hmm. um, with a few commonalities, like both mm-hmm. of them are looking through the lens of the present into the past. Um, yeah. And also from the perspective of like the child towards like yeah. a young parent kind of thing. Like I, yeah. I definitely, I don't know why these themes of like kind of like childhood, parenthood, family, but also like a sense of regret or like lost time really mm-hmm. came up for me. Um, and also even just kind of like the visual feel of it i i was getting some connection there both of them looking into the recent past too like i mean mm-hmm. uh you know like in in all of us strangers we're looking back to the late 70s um after sun we're looking back to like the late 90s early o's mm-hmm. I, I will definitely include in the show notes uh, a link to our conversation about a ghost story because i think that is one like a very very apt comparison two it was a great conversation Jolie's first appearance on the show and um three i i feel like enough time has gone by that pe- more people may have seen a ghost story by now um yeah. that you know because we talked about it when it's like this very small movie that not a lot of people had seen um so i i, I do hope that people will kind of dig that one out of the show notes and give that a listen and kind of consider- mention a ghost story being kind of like flying under the radar at that point when i saw it it was at that tiny cinema at the light box um mm-hmm. Yep. Say cinema five, maybe five, yeah, tiny. And now yeah. I, I, and it, which is kind of funny to think about, but yeah, hopefully, I, I agree. Like you said, it's been some time, maybe more people have discovered it. I also think for myself, it's probably a good time for me to to re watch it and kind of re explore that film. Uh, yeah, it's it, I feel like it's a movie that because it's quiet, it's the kind of cerebral movie that you can project a lot mm-hmm. onto i mean there's a whole pandemic that's taken place in between yeah. that conversation and now so i there might be some different reactions yeah. to you know a, a soul that is trapped in physical spaces well one of the first movies that i thought about as a companion piece to all of us strangers is also not that old and it's also one that um we i believe we talked about on one of our year-end episodes but i thought about um Celine Sciamma's Petit Mama. Yeah, that's interesting that that's come up again for uh, for all of the strangers. Well, it's because it's another movie where, um, I guess, spoilers for Petit Mama, the, another movie where we're seeing a younger version of the parent, mm-hmm. right? Where the child sees the parent as, you know, it, some as children, like in in all the strangers, the parents aren't exactly kids. 
but mm-hmm. they're young adults. Like you get, yeah. you know, you really understand how it's like you said, kids raising kids or adults, or like humans raising humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Pati Mama, we go one step further and we see the parent as child mm-hmm. while the parent is herself grieving. And yeah. Skiama in that movie does something very similar to this movie where um, it takes a simple approach to the storytelling and create something so uh, elegant um, and so charming out of it. Um, just really, really beautiful storytelling that I, I'm still loath to say too much about because very similar to all of the strangers. I just want somebody to go into it and be with it. Another movie that's very economical in terms of its time. Like I think it's movies like 80 minutes. It's mm-hmm. really short. Yeah, it's but not it, a long movie by any means. No, but it, it's just, it's so wonderful. And it's a, it's a recent uh, film that I kind of hope people will find still, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and just uh, be with this amazing, intimate, little, tiny follow-up to something so grand and um, a masterwork like Portrait of a Lady on Fire that mm-hmm. you then swing to something like this. So that was one of the movies that came up for me was Petit Mama. What was another movie that, that came up for you? Um, uh, coming away from all of those strangers. So, you know, I also kind of felt um, two films kind of came up for me at different points in the film, but one of them is um, Beginners. Um, oh, yeah. That one came up for me. Um, also Personal Shopper uh, a little bit as well. That one is a little bit, I would say, a bit more removed um, than, say, some of the other ones we've discussed, like Petit Mamar, After Sun, Ghost Story, um, Beginners, even, because those ones feel very strongly connected to family and kind of like the evolution of like parents and children. Um, whereas personal shopper, I think it's, is it her brother? No, she's not grieving her brother in personal shopper. She's a me- She's an amateur medium. She has a connection mm-hmm. to the afterworld. Her brother mm-hmm. is um, several countries away and they only talk through right. like FaceTime. What I like about that movie is an, as a comparison. So mm-hmm. points uh, is <laughs> that movie takes the other side of what we were talking about at the beginning of all of the strangers, where it's how do you play this movie for horror? versus mm-hmm. playing this movie for love mm-hmm. and that movie plays it it's not prototypically scary yeah. but that movie plays this whole approach for with with fear whereas yeah. this movie plays it with love um and i think it, what i also like about personal shopper similar to what um andrew Hyde does with all of the strangers is that it kind of gives some gives some trust to its audience in that it never gives you kind of an explicit answer as to what exactly is happening um you know there's a lot kind of left like intentionally unsaid it's very quiet um so i I like that in personal shopper and in all the strangers there's a lot of just kind of onus put on the the audience itself to to say this is the story this is what's happening it's not going to give us like very clear um direction if you will or like directions longer like it, it's not very prescriptive to us about yeah. what we should be thinking and feeling about what's uh, transpiring on the screen yeah and then beginners is a movie that i've grown to appreciate more and more in the 13 years or so since it came out um when i mean when it first came out i was i was quite affected by it i did find it to mm-hmm. be quite a lovely movie um but i didn't latch on to it quite as um 
quite as deeply uh, as I do now. Um, mm-hmm. and people could probably figure out why. Um, but that was a movie that I did think at times was a little aloof. Uh, you know, like, the, the, you know, we were talking about is all of us strangers sometimes too aloof, and I don't think it is. I think it's actually quite yeah. a warm uh, yeah. movie. Um, beginners, yeah, beginners yeah, at time. It's got that very um, Mike Mills does this a lot. His movies don't really want to. They'll hug you, but they're not going to squeeze you. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, they're, they're the ones that's like, I don't like to give hugs, but you want one, so okay. Uh, so go. okay, all right, yeah. So yeah, both of those movies I think would make a great pairing um, mm-hmm. with all of the strangers uh, for sure. My other other side is I went with the the easy comparison, and I went with another one of Andrew High's films uh, from a few years ago, uh, Forty Five Years, starring mm-hmm. uh, Charlotte Rampling. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, no, it's been on my list for ages, but uh, I ha- unfortunately haven't seen it yet. Okay, please don't see it shortly before you get married. It will, it will not, it will not do well. Um, but it, what I love about that movie is it's it, it's um, high has a real trust for his audience that he doesn't need to spell things out to the letter that you're going to be able to connect the dots. You're going to be able to put yourself into the skin of these characters and feel what they feel. And 45 years, it's uh, it's an older married couple at the center of that story. Um, and kind of similar to all of us strangers of dealing with a past mm. trauma and looking at how it has affected their lives, looking at how it, plays into who they believe themselves to be what i love about 45 years is the real twist is a wrong word but the real key to that story is blink and you'll miss it Mm. like it trusts that you're going to catch it 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 puts it there reasonably clearly but it doesn't point an arrow and say, look at this, because this is really going to change right. what you think about this whole situation. It trusts that you're smart enough to, to catch it. Now, oddly enough, if you don't allow yourself to be with it, if you're, I hate this term, but if you're second screening, mm-hmm. you're going to miss it because right. it's subtle, but it's there. Um, so 45 years, Charlotte Rampling is amazing. Tom Courtney is amazing. Um, and And just... This thing that they that they go through as this this couple that is at a place in their life that they should be celebrating. I mean, forty five years of marriage, anytime is 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 really momentous. But they are are facing reality at this point in their lives that they have to, you know, really confront their relationship. Um, it, it's an incredible film that I feel like a lot of people may have skipped over when it dropped, you know, nine or 10 years ago. Well, um, there we go. That is episode 320 of the matinee cast. I am so thankful that Jolie was able to join me this morning. Come on back for episode 321. We are going to discuss this year's Oscar nominees. Um, Jolie can be found at uh, Wiley Wrights and at um, Toronto Film Files. Do you have anything uh, coming up soon that people can look forward to? Or that you've um, just published that people could uh, poke around through? Thank you, yeah. Um, I recently uh, had a review come out for The Teacher's Lounge, which we discussed during mm. our end-of-year podcast, which was awesome. 
um, also did a review that just went live recently for um, an indie film called Roadkill. I'll also be publishing a review soon for uh, Aki Kurismaki's Fallen Leaves, um, which I'm very excited to write about. <laughs> it's a it's a good time of year for um, for movies. It's it's a little hard to kind of keep up with everything, and it's it's a little hard to kind of understand which ones are worth seeing. It's funny because January tends to be kind of a wasteland when it comes to film. Like people, like not a lot of new big glossy stuff tends to drop into January, which is weird mm-hmm. because if you drop a movie anytime, people are going to go, but mm-hmm. I guess they think that people don't go out during January. So there, you know, a lot of this stuff that you're talking about, like teacher's lounge, all leaves, you know, we've been talking about all these, all of us strangers. These are movies that are, they're, they're rounds. It's worth your time. And where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, they can follow me at TO Film Files. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes there. You can also find them in all the usual places uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, uh, you know, you name it, I'm there. I'm, I think I actually even found some new platforms. If there is a podcasting app you use that my show is not on, let me know. I'll put it there. It's real simple. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on all of us strangers can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca. On Twitter, I'm matinee underscore ca, and there is still Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Miss Featherstone? No, I just wanted to thank you as always for having me on um, the podcast and also for um, going, going to the depths with me. I feel like we talk about a lot of films that deal with like some heavy stuff, and you're always game to talk about it, so thank you. <laughs> It's cheaper than therapy. (laughs) For Joe Lee, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.